0: Hey smart mamas, welcome to the Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast, a podcast about balancing mom life and work life and everything in between. Being a mama is a hard job. We are three nurse anesthetists reaching out to support and encourage other moms with hectic and chaotic lives.
1: I want to be a nurse anesthetist.
0: No topics are off limits.
1: Relationships, finance, mental health.
0: And we aren't sugarcoating
1: anything. No way,
0: hold way. This is real life, real moms, real advice. And we want this to be interactive. We want to hear from you—the good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. This is Crystal, and I just wanted to tell you about this episode. We sat down with Sarah Franco, a CRNA and a mom, and she tells us about her journey with infertility and in vitro fertilization and her road to having triplets. Yes, she has three amazing little babies, and she's gonna tell us her story and the highs and the lows, and she doesn't hold anything back and Make sure you stick around to the end, because we actually stopped recording, and she dropped the craziest bomb on us. We had to start recording again, so make sure you listen to that part, because it's just crazy. But um, we love Sarah, and we hope you love her story, too. Enjoy the show. Hey, ladies. Welcome back to Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. Tonight, I'm here with Ellen and Lacey. Hey, girls. Hi. And tonight- We have a special guest joining us. We have Sarah Franco, who is the creator and owner of Sterling Anesthesia, and she is also a professor at one of the local anesthesia universities and a practicing CRNA. And Sarah is going to share her IVF journey with us today and just kind of walk us through the steps and the physical and emotional process that kind of goes along with it. So hey, welcome, Sarah.
2: Thank you for having me. Yeah,
0: I just
3: totally realized that when I'm looking at your name, I'm like, I wonder this is so weird. I feel like this is the same Sarah from Sterling. It is. And that's what (laughs) I use. I use Sterling all the time. So I'm just like, (laughs) I'm I'm out of it. I'm sorry.
2: That's
3: okay. But yes, welcome. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. I know we have a lot of people in our group who that you know, our exclusive group who all go through IVF or have questions about it all the time, but I'm sure that the other mamas who listen to our podcast outside of the CRNA um, group also have either experienced it or know somebody who has. So this would be really, really eye opening to at least me. I know Lacey too, because we've had natural conceptions, um, but I'm always super interested in how this works. I'm like, not just interested, I'm extremely intrigued by it. Um, So much that I've been recently asking the group that I work for to do a lot more anesthesia and fertility clinics, because I'm like so amazed by
1: it. So Sarah, can you kind of talk us through like how you got started on your journey. How did you discover you had fertility issues and kind of what steps did you take while you were exploring IVF or did you just go straight to IVF?
2: So sure. So um, I actually naturally conceived my first three children um, and uh, with my third child had a C-section and a tubal ligation. And then my husband and I got divorced and I got remarried to a man who did not have any children. So we decided to, you know, pursue what our what all of our options were as far as um, as starting a family. So I uh, went to see a reproductive endocrinologist um, that is in the St. Louis area, who, uh, you know, we did some research on and he kind of alluded to a tubal reversal would be our best option. So, um, I did a little bit of research on that. And at the time it was a relatively new procedure. This was about four or five years ago. And maybe not new as much as just not as explored and, um, and went ahead and went through that process and it failed. It was, uh, which was pretty emotional in and of itself. And then the, that physician offered us IVF Um, as a secondary option, basically, because it was the only option that we had left. And after having some lab tests and things done, realized that my chances of having a successful IVF was pretty much slim to none, um, just based on all my numbers. So we did the IVF with him. And I believe we had, we had three eggs retrieved, two fertilized into embryos, uh, I had both of those transferred, and we had a successful pregnancy. So, of course, you know we were over the moon. The kids were excited. We actually even had an exchange student at the time, and so we were all pretty invested in this pregnancy. And um, then at 22 weeks, found out that she had complete heterotaxy.
1: Oh, oh my
2: god! Which wow, was at 22 dev- weeks? Wow. At 22 weeks. So, um, which was pretty devastating. But at the time, oh, yeah. you know, we thought, well, you know, it'll be left hypoplastic heart syndrome and tetralogy of Fallot and everything, but we can get through it. And then we ended up losing her at 24 and a half weeks. Oh
3: God, that's so, so crushing.
2: Yeah, it was. I mean, it was the most, it was the worst thing I think I've ever been through. So you know, us with our type A personalities, um, I immediately started seeking like, what can we do next? You know, why did this happen? Is it going to happen again? We went through a million dollar genetic workup and they could not find anything, um, with my husband or myself. So we did IVF again and went to a different person. So I work for, uh, Washington university. So we went through their reproductive endocrinology, basically. I mean, At the time, mostly because that was what my insurance would pay for, but it ended up being the best decision that, you know, that we ever did had some, you know, this is three years later, had some lab tests done and my numbers were even worse. So anyone out there struggling with a low AMH, mine was 0.02, which is like non-existent pretty much and, uh, did a different protocol, kind of a new, newer protocol got five eggs, four fertilized, and um, three went on to a four-day blast. So at the time, what does that mean? So um, basically, so they'll fertilize your, they fertilize the eggs and then they don't look at them for three days. They kind of um, compare it to like, you know, cookies baking, like you just, you know, put them in the oven, you let them go until it's time for them to come out. So they told us that if there were, if all three embryos made it, then they would freeze one and we were going to transfer two. If only one made it or zero made it, then we would do our transfer on day four, which is actually kind of right in the middle. Most people do a three-day or a five-day transfer. So they called us the morning of and they said, we're going to need you to go ahead and come on in for your transfer. So we went in for the transfer and you know we're thinking, okay, so there's one or two eggs that made it what are we, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to give life its best chance. We're going to transfer both of them. I was 38 at the time. So, uh, got in there and, you know, the way their group works, I ended up seeing one RE, uh, did my egg retrieval with another one. And then this was a third one that was in the group. So I actually had never met her, um, talked to her for about two minutes. And she said that out of the four eggs, three continued to grow one did not look very good at all. She didn't think, um, it would make it, it definitely wouldn't make it to freeze. And the other two looked pretty decent. So basically what did we want to do? And we had about a minute and a half to decide, you know, did we want to transfer all three? Did we want to kind of toss the third one and just go with the other two because they wouldn't even try to make it free, you know, let it freeze. And, uh, and we just decided, you know, kind of, in the spur of the moment to go ahead and put all three in, uh, they quoted us less than 20% chance of twins or 20% chance of multiples, less than 5% chance of triplets. So went ahead and did the transfer, went in for my first uh, beta, which is, you know, not very, not very indicative of anything. If it's a natural conception, but with IVF, they really can run the numbers pretty close and they wanted my number Um, anywhere between 100 and 200. And it was (gasps) 1,440 or something. (laughs) Oh my God. Did you think Uh, you were having like six kids? (laughs) I was like, um, I'm like, huh? Okay. So up until this point, it's so funny because my husband had had a dream the night before the egg retrieval and he was like, they're going to get five eggs. And I'm like, we're hoping for two. Um, went in, got five eggs. The night of the um of the embryo transfer, he woke up and he said, We're gonna have triplets. And I was like, shut your filthy mouth. We're not Stop gonna have
3: it. Oh my god. Um
2: so, so you know, now fast forward like two weeks and I get these numbers and I was like, um, what does that mean? And she was like, Well, it's a very healthy number. Um, let's just, let's see in a couple of days what the number is. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Oh my God. So went back oh and the number was supposed to be like 4,000. They wanted it at 4,000. And I'm like, based on what my, you know, what those numbers were and, um, had it checked and it was like almost 17,000. And I was like, <laughs> um, okay, what does this mean? And of course I'd been Googling numbers and what's yeah. your, you know, what's your beta supposed to be at 17 DPO and all this thing, you know, and, um. Anyway, so she was like, "Well, we want to warn you there may be more than one in there." And I'm like, <laughs> "Like, clearly, like, lady, oh, right, but like how right. much more?" Yeah. So and then of course she's like, oh my god. "Um, well, we'll see you next Monday and we'll we'll do a scan." And I'm like, "Oh my god, next Monday is like 5 days away." So I called my OB and I said, "Hey, I had a, you know, positive pregnancy test. Um, I want to come in and get a scan. And he was like, okay, yeah, go ahead and come on in. So I went in and he said, and he actually works with the first physician that I went to um, for my transfer and, or the first group. And, um, so he go, he, you know, I said, so my beta was a little high and he was like, well, what's a little
1: high, <laughs> a little <laughs> high. I'm
2: like, um, it's like 17,000. And he goes, how long ago did you have your transfer? And I told him, he was like, How many embryos did you transfer? And I told him three, and he was like, Three? What? (laughs) Every time he would walk by the door, he would just shake his head. So, anyway, (laughs) um, he does does the scan, and he was like, One, two, three. Yep, there's three in there. And I was just like, I was just dumbfounded. And, you know, of course, then we start going through the well, we don't even have a heartbeat yet. You know, let's see if they all have a heartbeat. You know, the chances of you carrying all three of these babies are like, Probably thirty percent. I said okay. So we tried, you know, to not get our hopes up or anything. Came back a couple weeks later. All of them had a heartbeat, and he's like, "Okay, oh. well, let's get to twelve weeks, and then we'll start having discussions." I'm like, "Okay, all right, okay, okay." Make it to the twelve week appointment. Everything's growing fine, and he was like, "Okay, yeah, now you need to go see a high risk doctor." Oh, so oh boy. Then we started that journey. So, that was- um,
3: I feel like if that were me i would be like oh my god i'm gonna have a litter like a yeah, dog i,
2: I like, did i felt so and by other. the end of it i felt like i was carrying a litter like I so was what,
3: large. you put three <laughs> eggs in including the one that they told you was not gonna work right. out yep, so absolutely. did all three become a baby or did like that one drop off but the other two yeah nope, like, no they
2: splitting. Fraternal? They're, all, they're fraternal all three are fraternal Holy so cow. i actually had the best um scenario. I had tri-tries. So everyone had their own sack. Everyone had their own placenta. I mean, basically, essentially just carrying three singletons all at the same time.
3: How does wow. a body accommodate three children and three placentas? That is mind-blowing to me.
2: It just I had one and everywhere. I thought that I was out of
3: <laughs>
0: How many weeks did you make it to?
2: I made it to 35 weeks. Wow! Wow. That was actually as long. So they told me um, I went, you know, I went to the same high risk group that works at the facility I work at. And so the person that I saw, you know, she was like, uh, you know, we, we actually specialize in this. We've done a, a ton of studies, the chance of mortality every day after it's exponential every day after 35 weeks. So if you elect to carry these babies, we will not let you go past 35 weeks. And I'm like, okay. So then I start doing the math and I'm like, wait a minute, 35 weeks is going to be on Christmas Eve. Could we like go, I don't want to go early. Could I like make it through the, you know, the Christmas weekend or whatever? And, and then, and they were like, no, you're not going to make it to 35 weeks anyway. So don't worry about it. Um, and I walked in on Christmas Eve and had a C-section and delivered three babies. So wow. That's oh, What a Christmas crazy. miracle. Yeah. so It was awesome. And oh to add to that miracle, they told us that they would be in the hospital until, January 28th, 29th, whatever my original due date was, basically until they were 40 weeks. And we all left on day three. Nobody went to the NICU at all. Oh.
0: What was their weight? Uh,
2: five 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 three and 4'11" dude, you were like a baby making.
3: <laughs> I was literally going to
0: just say those exact words. Yeah. You are like like a super human. I had one baby yeah. in there. She was six pounds, six ounces at 39 weeks. Like how on Yeah, and birth? your kids didn't even have to stay. They were like, these are,
3: we don't have room for these kids. Yeah. Like yeah. they're out. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yep. They kicked all of it. They actually waited for me to be discharged because I had a C-section. So
3: yeah. The kids were like, come on, mom. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I'm how go old home. are they?
2: <laughs> Wow! So they're 14 months now. They were born on Christmas Eve, so they turned one on Christmas Eve.
3: Wow! wow. Oh, I just, oh God, I'm like melting inside. This is <laughs> really so.
0: I remember vividly. Remember, you know, the the hard first year, but you know, like the first couple of weeks or so, and I was just, and she cried a lot and had really bad reflex and it was hard for all of us. But I was just like crying at who knows what. But I remember thinking, like, how do people do this with two? How do you do this with two? And then. How do you do it with three like how do you do that?
2: it you know so you know, my husband and i I was all bummed out, you know, I'm like, I don't want my babies to go to the NICU, and everybody you know is trying to probably. Pump me up a little bit, but they're like, "Oh, it's great." They'll get them on a sleeping schedule, you know. Like the, they're very rigorous in the NICU. It'll be awesome. You'll come home, and they'll like, you know, know oh. exactly when they're going to eat, when they're going <laughs> to sleep. Well, then we all come home, and I'm like, "Oh well, crap!" Now, you know? yeah, can we come back? Yeah, I know. I'm like, all right, "Can we?" Are you sure you today? didn't want to so, keep them? Just a little yeah, bit longer. I, we planned on one. Is there anybody else for the other two? No. So, um, so we bring them home, and um, you know, I had all of these like great intentions of, you know, the rooming in and all of that, but you know how much grunting and squirming uh, and squeaking. Uh, yeah. yeah, And that multiplied by three. And then the fact that we had to wake them every two hours to eat because, you know, they were like four, six, like five, one and four fourteen or something like that whenever they came home. So we had to wake them to feed them. And, um, I was like, I slapped an outlet sock on all three of them and off to the crib, they went on like day two because like the 17 minutes we had to sleep, you know, every two hours with all the grunting and squirming and, right. squirming and stuff going on, we couldn't do it. So they went, they went straight to the nursery. So. It sounds like piglets. <laughs> piglets, <laughs> yeah. they, they like piglets. I mean, they were uh-huh. just a little bitty and everything, but, um, and then we just got on this like crazy person schedule. I mean, we, fed them and laid them down for a nap or laid them down to, to go to bed the exact same time every single day. And it only took like, I mean, within two months they were, they knew, you know, you could set your clock by when they woke up to cry. If one would wake up, we would wake them all up. If one would eat, they would all three eat. And I was breastfeeding. So I would like breastfeed one and bottle feed one. And my husband would bottle feed the other. And, um, I mean, we just like just would hammer it out, and you're then like a machine, the, like a mommy was, machine. This is amazing. For, for two months, it was just like no sleep, and you just like kept going. And then at three months, we got the green light from the pediatrician to let them, you know, basically sleep. You know, whenever they needed, you know, wake up whenever they needed to, but just let them sleep. And they slept from. I hate. I don't even like to say this because I hear all these horror stories about people that can't get their kids to sleep but um, we would lay them down at 7.30 at night and they would wake up at 7.30 in the morning. And how yeah. they... Uh. Had that's how they are to this day. But wow. they, like it can be like a prison in there. Like one can be crying and screaming and the other two are just like out cold. They're like totally <laughs> used to each other. Wow, <laughs>
3: The Lord knew thing.
2: that you needed to sleep. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was like the trade-off of having multiples. They're like, we know you can't have a colicky baby or you will like. Yeah. Lose your, your mind. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um,
3: so how old were your baby. other three when these yeah. three were born?
2: Um, 17. Ten and eight. Well, that's nice. So Dude, they were kind of like
3: helpers. able to care for themselves while they, you they did were. this. They
2: were, they were, and they're actually a lot of help too. I mean, I was like, I had one for each of you, so there's no fighting. So, <laughs> of they kind of like, you know, kind of buddied up with, and everyone has their favorite, yeah. but. And that was help too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it's not
3: man on man defense anymore. You're like, yeah, everybody
2: wanted to hold a baby. I'm like, absolutely. So there's one for you. Here's one for you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No fighting. Everyone has a baby. So, oh my God.
3: Because, like what Crystal said, how do people do three? It's one thing if you first pregnancy, you get triplets. You don't know the difference. That's just your norm. It's another thing if you've had singles. And then you get hit with three and you're like, what on earth am I supposed to do with these Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was just like,
2: you know, my husband's like, what do we do? I'm like, I don't have any idea what we do. Like this is poor guy. He wanted kids. Look at what happened. (laughs) Exactly. I know. He's probably scared if I would ever say like, let's have another one. He'd be like, get out of this house. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So, yep. It's, I mean, it's been a journey. Now I look back and I'm like, how did I ever struggle, you know, struggle with one? But, um, but I have to say they're great. Great baby, so that has definitely made it, you know, very easy.
3: I just have a follow up question to the beginning of your story. I didn't even know a tubal reversal was a thing. I thought that men can get reversed. I didn't realize women can. Yeah. Um, so was that yeah. like a another major surgery?
2: It was. I will tell you, I've had three C sections, and it was worse than all three C sections. Really? I mean, to anyone out there who was who was thinking about doing it, I'm not trying to like scare you. But I was bruised from nipple to knee. I mean, it was a lap it was a laparotomy. And I mean, it was black
1: all the way down my
2: stomach, all the way through everything, down to my thighs. I was bruised from all the tugging and pulling that they do. And they got in there and so they base, you know, if you're a candidate off of what the pathology report says, like as far as how much tube they took and didn't do any kind of further testing or anything. And, you know, this physician in particular was like, oh, it's gonna be no problem. Well they got in there and I didn't have any tube left. And then after after I, you know, which didn't even it didn't even dawn on me. Like I had read and you know the chances of ectopic pregnancy is much higher because of the scar tissue and things like that. And I had read those statistics but what I kind of found was, you know, people put the statistics that kind of benefit, you know, if you will, totally agree the that they're, mm-hmm. that they're going to do. So um, after some further investigation, it's, it's not a hugely successful, I mean, it's not anything like a vasectomy reversal as far as success rates go. Um, and then we had some other contributing factors that would have made conceiving natural almost impossible. Um, so not really sure why we went through it, but you know, that, that would be another probably teaching point would be to definitely do your research and kind of understand the process before you go into it. You know, I was just, you know, Oh, I just want to have a baby yeah. and, and probably didn't do the due diligence that it, that it required to, to investigate that a little bit further. So,
1: so, Sarah, so I did want to oh, go ahead, Crystal.
2: Oh, no, no, I, was, I was just going to say, um, a lot of the research you read, a lot of the reproductive endocrinologists will just skip a tubal reversal altogether and just go right to IVF um, just because the success rate is much higher. So.
0: Well. so I did want to ask when you were going through the both IVF cycles, you know, and they just called you one day and said, come in for your, what do you call it? In- implantation?
2: Uh, the tra- the transfer the transfer
0: yeah I mean how did you work as a CRNA with just these you know early morning lab appointments and just random calls I mean how did that
2: yeah so you know they really there are a couple initial appointments so you go for like a baseline ultrasound and things like that and they definitely want to get your lab work kind of in the earlier side of the morning um, because it takes a little bit of time to run like an FSH and an LH and things like that that they really track I really had. A pretty understanding employer. Um, they were definitely understanding the first time. And then after what we went through, I think, I, I mean, I feel like the whole department was kind of rooting for me um, right. the second time after our loss. But really, just kind of like, you know, change things. We have a shift available where I am, um, we call it the swing shift. And you basically, oh, yeah. you come in at 11 and you leave at seven or eight or nine or, you know, however that works out. But, um, you do lunches and then you take over a room. So I would trade somebody, you know, for their swing shift so that I could be there at 11 so that I could go in and get my lab work and get an ultrasound. But they're pretty good about kind of giving you a heads up on like what your lab work is going to kind of look like for the next week or two. Um, so that was kind of how I made that work. And then with the transfer and, uh, the retrieval and then the transfer, I mean, you just basically have to tell them I may or may not be here on day three and may or may not be here on day five and, you know, take a vacation day or whatever you have to do as far as that's concerned.
1: So I want to back up just a little bit further and talk about some of the Like process of going through the egg retrieval, I know that there's a lot of hormones that like you're injecting yourself with potent hormones. You're doing it. Is it daily, multiple times a day? I know there's a ton of shots involved, and they can really do some brutal things to you. Like, how did you deal with that? How did that make you feel? Like, did was it? Did you notice a lot of like issues with the hormone injections? You know, I really didn't.
2: So I did two different protocols. Um, the first protocol I did, you know, it was, I don't remember the exact name for it, but I took birth controls for, you know, pills for a month and a half. And then, you know, kind of like stopped the pills abruptly. And I did that whole protocol. It definitely takes a wear on you. I had this irrational fear of needles before I got started with this process. And then by the end of it, I'm like, you know, like in the bathroom and you're up sticking myself with something because um, it's just no thing anymore. But it, it does take a toll on you you know, the beginning there is, uh, most of the protocols you have to do Lupron. And then once you start the gonadotropins, it can be anywhere from like one to four injections per day. Um, they're all like sub Q in the stomach. Then you start the progesterone, which is I am, you know, in, in the, in the butt and it, yeah, it, I gained about, I probably gained 25 pounds before I ever even got pregnant with my singleton. And then, you know, then probably gained 10 pounds while I was pregnant with her hadn't even lost all that weight yet. And then got started with the triplets. But I would say, I mean, gaining 10 to 15 pounds with all the hormones and everything is not unrealistic. And I really didn't have any, I mean, some people describe these terrible side effects. I mean, I had a little bit of bloating and stuff there toward the end when my ovaries were gigantic, but some headaches or whatever. But other than that, it wasn't
1: um, other than just the the pain from the injection, it wasn't too bad. So one of the other things that we wanted to talk about, and you have a very unique perspective because you did not experience IVF for all of your pregnancies. Um, right. So I'm currently pregnant and we've kind of had a bit of a baby boom in our departments, but we do have um, a friend who she's been very open about her IVF journey, but she's had multiple failed transfers and a miscarriage. And so it's just been you know, it's hard for her and it's hard for the people who are having babies because it's just, it's such a touchy subject and it's so hard to know how to, how to support each other, you know? And so um, having, it seems like you've maybe walked both roads and uh, Mm -hmm. what advice would you have for those of us who haven't had issues conceiving children and you know, how can we support our friends, family members, people going through IVF? And then, you know, what advice would you have on the flip side of that for the people who are going through IVF and seeing other people succeed with pregnancies and it still be a struggle? So like what, like both sides of that, what is your take? Sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's only my perspective. I will say so when I was pregnant the first time, there were actually four girls in our department that were all pregnant at the same time. Um, I mean, we were all going to deliver within one week of each other. So I remember after I lost our daughter, we actually had a charity event that we were going to. And one of the girls that, you know, the couple that we had invited, was the one that was, you know, one week further along than me. And I know that she was mortified. I mean, you know, bought a new black dress to try to hide her pregnancy and, you know, everything. And although I very much appreciated what she was trying to do, I did not, I mean, I did not ever, it never even crossed my mind to like look at her and resent her anything for, you know, for her still being pregnant and and me not being pregnant. So, um, I mean, you know, I, I, I would hope that everyone kind of feels the same way that I do but um you know on both sides of it I really feel like just treating somebody the way that you would have ever you know the, the normal way that you would have always treated them it it doesn't do any good to toe around it or not talk about it or not bring it up because that person is thinking about it all the time and it actually mm-hmm. you know whenever we did IVF the first time I was only my very very close friends knew about it and my family and then and then we lost her And then when we did it the second time, you know, my husband at first was like, you know, he didn't want to tell anyone until we were like 20 weeks along with the first one. And the second one, I told him, I have to be up front with everyone because if something happens to this pregnancy, I think I'm probably going to go off the deep end. Like, I don't know. I can't do that again. And I need people to know why, you know, um, Mm -hmm. that, that things are working out the way they are. So, so, you know, having lived through both sides of it, I would just say, you know, if if you have, if there's somebody, I mean, the person that has had the multiple, the multiple losses, I would just try to treat her exactly the way you would treat her. Otherwise, I'm sure she's very happy for you. There, there's probably a small part of her, you know, that wishes it was her, but um and we I all wish it was like, her. like
1: we Well no no I know, know absolutely I mean, it's, it's, and I have I have complete faith that we'll be able to welcome her into the Sierra Day Moms group at some point in time and our right. whole department is cheering for um and she like I said she's been very open about this with the department and on Facebook and so I'm not sharing anything that's you know sure. special you know like secret information but um you know, it's just, it's, it's hard for both sides. And, you know, I mean, you definitely feel for somebody and you've never experienced it. So it's just, you know, hard.
2: Right. I mean, motherhood is like the greatest gift, you know, right. We all complain and, you know, whatever, but I wouldn't give any of my, tonight, I wouldn't give any of my kids (laughs) anything. So (laughs) maybe talk to me tomorrow. I might feel a little differently or like nine o'clock tonight, but um, no, all joking aside. I mean, I can't imagine, I can't imagine ever being told that that wasn't a possibility for me. And even though, I mean, this is like the stingy part of me, even, even after I had three kids, you know, that I love dearly, I really wanted a fourth baby. And when I found out like my labs looked as horrible as they did and you know, the, the doctor that I went to, you know, he was like, I can't believe you're even here. First of all, after what you've just went through, you know, and I I was like, I just need like some kind of control over the situation. And he was like, we're going to do the best we can, but you have to know that, that the chances now of getting any viable eggs are going to, are slim to none. You know, your numbers are terrible. And I actually started looking up, uh, you know, some things to do in Europe. They're really, um, very strong advocates and I'm not a physician. That's my disclaimer, but they're very strong advocates about taking like DHEA and Mm CoQ10 and things like that. Um, To kind of boost egg quality and quantity and things. So I just started kind of trying to do anything I could do to kind of improve my numbers. And, you know, I went from whether it was just, you know, some higher beings will or, or because of the, you know, kind of herbal things that I took, my follicles went from two, you know, to seven in those three months. So So there, you know, there are things that are out there, they're coming out with new protocols every day, maybe not every day, but they're coming out with new protocols all the time for like, poor egg producers or poor quality producers and things like that, that I think are making, you know, helping leaps and bounds as far as infertile, you know, women or people like myself that had like non-compatible with life numbers to, um, you know, to have a baby, to have a successful pregnancy, and then you know to go on to have a multiple pregnancy. So, did
1: you ever exper- experiment with like acupuncture or some like alternative medicine other than the herbal stuff? I really didn't. Um, I really actually didn't give my body much of a chance
2: to. I, I mean, I was 38 at the time. It's not like I was 58. I don't know why I was in such a rush, but <laughs> um, I, I really didn't. I just tried to. Kind of clear my mind and my soul, and um, and you know, read up on things so that I felt like I kind of knew, had a little bit more of an idea of what was going on and things that I could do to improve things, and and then kind of went that way. But I didn't ever do acupre- you know, acupressure, acupuncture, any of the alternative therapies.
0: Sarah, how did you get over not get over your loss, but you had an extreme, extreme loss. I can't imagine losing. At that far into a pregnancy. I had a miscarriage. At, I think it was nine weeks and it was very devastating for me. I just can't even imagine being that connected and at 22 weeks. But how did you move past that fear and the loss to do it again? And then with the same risk of it happening again?
2: You know, I, I didn't. <laughs> the first... I'm not going to say I didn't get connected to the pregnancy because I mean, even if you have that in the back of your mind, there's no way that you can't get connected to a pregnancy. Um, I still, I still probably cry every day (laughs) over her, but sorry. Um, Oh no. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. This is important. But I, we, uh, you know, with multiples, you always have a level two fetal echo. Um, it's just kind of par for core for anything, whether you have any kind of history or not, But I will say up until 22 weeks, or it wasn't 22 weeks, we actually had it early. We had it like at 19 weeks was about as as early as we could have it. It was every day. It was just I was kind of waiting for the pin to drop, you know, we would go to the doctor every other week. And every other week, I was just waiting for them to tell me that there was something wrong or something that they didn't see before. Or, you know, because no one said anything to us, you know, looking back at like, you know, some of the the ultrasound reports for our first one, you know, it would say cardiac, non-defined or unable to visualize. Well, it was because there were no chambers there. You know, I mean, it was basically like just one big chamber. So, you know, every report I would be, you know, or every time we would have a scan, I would be like, do you, you know, do you see anything at all wrong? Do you see anything that, that could potentially be there? and, you know, and they couldn't, we, but we couldn't have any of the genetic testing for like trisomy done because there were three babies. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to just do like nuchal transluminescence and, you know, nipple distance and, you know, uh, nuchal folds and things like that. And then kind of give us like a best case scenario. So, I mean, even until delivery, you know, we were just like, we thought we were going to have three healthy babies, but we weren't exactly sure. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think I ever got over it. I until until they were out and crying and the NICU team gave us the all clear. I was just holding my breath, kind of waiting for you know something terrible to be said, which is kind of horrible. But you know, it was. I felt Mm -hmm. like I was kind of preparing myself a little bit more. So yeah,
0: it's a way to protect yourself from you know. Wow.
2: Yeah, I, I we were
3: talking about this yesterday a little bit, and I always try to think like how women who go through IVF repeatedly and have failed pregnancies repeatedly, how they even, I don't think they really get to enjoy a pregnancy the way that they should because they never can breathe. Yeah. Like they're I, so terrified of losing it. They're so terrified. Something's going to go wrong that the baby's going to, something's going to be wrong with the baby, that the pregnancy's not going to be carried to term that, you know, they're going to have to do another cycle. And it's like, I, I feel you know, I always feel bad for them, obviously, uh, not in a patronizing way, but I really sympathize with them. But I like really feel bad for that part of it. Cause I think pregnancy is so wonderful that I feel bad that they go through it with such fear um, yeah. and such a negative connotation. So do you have anything to share, like, you know, to help women through that or how you dealt with like not focusing on it as much, especially because having multiples carries an even higher risk. Um, like how did you even enjoy the milestones or tell people, were you terrified of telling people? I feel like, you know, I'm always scared to say anything before 16 weeks and I've never had an issue with fertility like that. So how, how do you
2: decide like when to share it or to be happy about it? You know, can you talk to us about that? You know, I think it's, Definitely everyone's individual preference on when to share it, you know, with our first one, like I mentioned, we didn't, you know, besides, you know, my best friend and my mom and my mother-in-law, no one knew until we were 20 weeks along. And, um, and, you know, then we got to enjoy it for like, you know, two and a half weeks. And then, and then our world came crashing down. So I think it's definitely an individual choice for everyone with the profession that we're in. I think probably disclosure early is, uh, almost a force thing, because if you don't want to be, you know, in a room with a bunch of fluoro or in a total joint room or, or something like that, or sent down to MRI. Like it. <laughs> it, it, exactly. Then, um, you know, then you have to tell someone in scheduling or something so that you're not, you know, and then of course the rumor mill flies and within like by lunch, everyone knows you're exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly, yeah, Totally. But, you know, for me, the second one, you know, I, I told everyone early on because I told my husband, I was like, I'm, you know, if, if something happens like it did, you know, the first time, then I'm probably going to go off, you know, go off the deep end. How women that have multiple, you know, multiple things like that happen. I, you know, one kudos to them. They're like the strongest people I know because any, anything like that takes a little bitty piece of your heart, you know, with, with support. yeah but i would you know just continue to to talk openly with them the the thing that i don't want to say that i didn't like but i remember when i returned to work and i just really appreciated if somebody would come up and be like i can't imagine what you're going through if you need to talk to someone then give me a call anytime versus walking up and, you know, somebody was talking about something that their baby did and everyone just stops talking because they don't want to say anything in front of you. You know, I mean, it was on my mind. The elephant in the room. Exactly. So, you know, the, the more normal you can treat um, them, they're already feeling, you know, like they're not in control of anything. So, so just, you know, the, the more supportive you can be, I think, I think the better and to each their own, if you want to I was so excited the second time, um, even though there, you know, there was the reserve part of me that was scared to death, something terrible was going to happen. And then the other part of me that thought it's not any good for any of us for me to be stressed out and not enjoying this pregnancy. So even though there was always that fear on the back of my mind, I tried to enjoy it, you know, as much as, as I could. And knowing that there were three in there counting on it being my last pregnancy, I tried to, to, to definitely cherish those moments. So.
0: Did you work up until the end or did you um, get put on bed rest or anything?
2: I never went on bed rest. I ran to a C-section to do anesthesia when I was 27, like 27 and a half weeks. And I got there and I was like, I'm too fat. I cannot do this anymore. And went down <laughs> to went down to like two days a week and did that for about two weeks. And then I was like, I'm out. I can't. I can't do it anymore. So from about thirty weeks to thirty-five weeks, I just kind of chilled at home and and went ahead and went on leave. But I wasn't on bed rest or anything. Wow. Can you talk to us about how
3: it affected your marriage at all? You know, especially with the loss. Did you find yourself blaming yourself, and or did you and your husband ever have like, hopefully not? But the blame game, or did he feel bad about like all the stuff you had to go through to make this baby possible for him with your body? you know, how, how did it affect your
2: relationship? I wouldn't say, I don't think it, I mean, it definitely had an, an impact on our relationship. I don't think it affected our relationship, like any kind of long lasting impact. Um, when we lost her, I know, you know, I mean, that was his, basically his, his bait, you know, his first baby. So, but I don't think he ever, I was grieving so much. I don't think he ever really had a chance to grieve, which, you know, kind of came to volition a little bit later, you know, several months after the fact and, you know, just walked in and and he was, you know, just devastated and really, really upset. I would encourage, you know, there are so many variables that you don't even think about, you know, after, so after we had her, even though there was nothing genetically, you know, so we had her tested genetically, we were tested genetically and, and everything came up perfectly fine. And I'm not saying that to scare anyone, you know, because, but you, you kind of think, Once you've gotten those kind of clean bills of health, that nothing bad is going to happen, but you know, it's a baby developing. So, so something can happen all the time, but I would definitely encourage couples to, to have kind of some of those tougher discussions, maybe before you're put into that situation. So for instance, they offered us like genetic testing on the embryos. I was kind of, and this was just my opinion, but I was against it because I thought, why are we going to throw away embryos? So the way the, this genetic testing goes, according to um, our physician, he said, you know, if basically if these embryos come back kind of inconclusive, if you will, then they just call them bad and they're destroyed. If they come back good, then, then they're good. And then they're transferred. But he said in his, you know, many, many years of experience, he had seen many, many, many embryos that looked very good. So eight cells, you know, not everything was very nice and uniform, came back as inconclusive. The, they went ahead and transferred this embryo and it grew into a perfectly healthy pregnancy. So, you know, my husband was like, no, I want to have these tested because I don't want this to happen again. He's not in the medical field. So, mm, yeah. You know, so Maybe. I'm like, but it could happen again, regardless, you know, it, it, everything would have, you know, she would have been genetically fine and then it ended the way it ended. So, but that is a discussion that you have to have before you have, you know, you have these embryos and you have basically three days, you're either going to freeze them or they're going to go to transfer. If you're going to do this testing, then they're going to be frozen. And then you have to go through the whole frozen process instead of a fresh process, um, which is a whole nother factor. You know, we kind of tossed around the idea of maybe having twins, but, you know, then we had like a minute and a half to decide if we were going to have triplets. Luckily, we were kind of on the same page there. I mean, that could have, um, you know, ended in, in, a, in a serious discussion. After we carried the triplets successfully to 14 weeks, they had the discussion with us to do a selective reduction, which they actually encourage. Oh. Um and uh, just because i mean triplets are dangerous it's dangerous to mom it's dangerous to babies and we both were on the same page that we did not want to do that but you know so so there's more to it than just making the decision that you're going to do ivf you're going to go through the expense of it it's a huge emotional roller coaster so um i would just it didn't cause any kind of long lasting impact but we also didn't go through numerous losses and things like that and those are definitely felt by the men. I think they're kind of pushed to the wayside just because we're the ones that are carrying them, you know, but there's a, there's definitely an emotional attachment. It's, it's their baby as well. And I think they're kind of, you know, I rarely do you hear, you know, how is dad doing kind of thing. So, um, so I would say you want to have those kind of discussions before you're in the heat of the moment and in an emotional place. And I think it's going to lead to much less, animosity or blame game or anything like that in the future. I definitely blame myself with her, even though there wasn't anything that I did wrong. I don't think he blamed me. I definitely didn't blame him, but it is such uh, there is such an, um, an emotional tie and involvement that um, it is definitely very challenging for a marriage, to say the least.
1: Sarah, I want to just highlight one of the things that you talked about a little bit ago. And just, it's such sage wisdom for anyone who has ever experienced a loss of a close person. Um, My brother died a decade ago. And you're right. Like, no one's ever going to remind me that my brother died by acknowledging it because I always remember that he died. Mm -hmm. And you always know that you lost your child and there's people who always know that their mother isn't here or their father isn't here or their sibling or close family member child and i just think it's really important that we shouldn't be afraid to acknowledge those things and and just say hey how are you doing i know it's so and so's birthday today or i know that this day is really important to you or i just wanted to check on you and see how you were doing because you're not ever going to remind someone that they lost someone that they loved you're just acknowledging that you remember too. And that means so much to people.
2: It, it absolutely does. Yeah. Um, so we lost our daughter on, I mean, we were told that it was a fetal demise on Valentine's day. So, you know, Valentine's day was like forever ruined for me. You know, three days later it was even worse because that was when I had her, but you know, a friend of mine who a very, very, very good friend of mine one year later, which it was definitely, it was definitely a lot, I don't want to say easier for me then, but I was definitely dealing with things a lot better. But she sent me the stone, you know, um, like to put in your garden that said, um, "I carried you every second of your life, and I will love you every second of mine." And
0: oh, that's it just, beautiful.
2: It, it was it was perfect. It was the perfect gift um, that anyone could ever get me. But it meant so much to me that somebody remembered that one year ago was the worst day of my life. Yeah. So just keep talking to these ladies because the last thing they want to do is feel even more, I don't know, like. It's like isolating, isolated, right? Isolated, exactly. Yeah. um From everyone or, or feeling like they can't be part of a conversation or they can't you know, enjoy the fact that, you know, you have a baby shower coming up or or something like that. So
3: yeah, like she's coming in the room. Nobody look.
2: Yeah. Or or don't invite her because you don't want to invite her to your baby shower or something like that. So, um, so yeah, just, just like you said, I mean, just keep talking openly to them and, and just treat them like, like you care about them and you know that Mm -hmm. they're going through something and just be there for them.
3: Yeah. I actually had the opposite story. I had a really good friend who, was struggling to conceive. And we had our, this was during our first. Yeah. So when I was pregnant with my first, we had invited everybody over for, I think it was a gender reveal and she was going to come, which I was like, really. I, I said to her, I said, I completely understand that this must be really difficult for you. You know, I want you there. You're a good friend of mine but I understand if you don't want to go. And she's like, no, 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 I'll be there. I can be happy for you. And then the day of, she's like, I can't do it. So, and I was totally fine with that. I completely understood. And then, you know, we were friends. And then when I got pregnant with my second one, she like completely abandoned our friendship. And I felt like nothing else happened to have like led to that. Like, it's not like we had a fight over something else or like there was another issue where I could have blamed. It was that I know 100% she just couldn't handle it which is okay, you know, because I I totally understand how she feels, or I don't understand, but I understand how she must feel. Um, I felt like it wasn't fair to me because it's like I was being punished, but I could, you know, stomach that and, and move forward. But I, I just didn't know how to handle it. I felt like how you said, like, I couldn't talk to her about excitement. I tried, but it was it was tough because I could tell it was just like, I mean, she didn't want to be a part of those conversations. Understandably so. Right.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, it's really hard not to, I'm, I'm on several IVF groups and, um, that I got involved in when I was trying to conceive. And then now, you know, I mean, I just try to kind of be a cheerleader for people. I was given such horrible odds and, you know, I'll see people that are like, my AMH is only 0.5. You know, they said, I'm going to have to use donor eggs. And I'm like, just get a second opinion, you know, see if there's other possibilities. Mine was 0.02 and, you know, and I was able to conceive. So, but there are, it is so easy to become completely consumed with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, you know, I'll say a hundred times that I can't imagine ever being told that I'm not able to be a mother, but you know, you hear all the time about these people that like try and try and try and they try all these different things and they eat right and they change everything And then once they give up trying and they like find peace within themselves, then they find out that they're pregnant. You know, Mm -hmm. if, if I could encourage anything, it is just to, pregnancy is such a beautiful thing and it's so draining on your body anyway. Just try to let it go and enjoy, I mean, enjoy the small victories, enjoy what you can um, and just try to cut as much stress as you can out of your life and, yeah. and just don't let it consume you because it, I mean, it becomes like some kind of festering growth that, you know, can turn into something really, really bad out of something that should be really, really good. So, um, yeah,
0: it's just, you have to enjoy life while it's passing you by because your goal is to, you know, conceive, but you still have to live your life or you're yeah.
3: really missing and out. It, It feels like a business transaction, almost like how you were describing. You're like, we had like three seconds to decide and then we had to go into this and then there were three. Well, we could put in one week, it loses its, you know like magic. natural magic. Yeah. yeah because it's it, just, you're just making these weird business transactions with you, these It eggs. is,
2: And it feels so, you feel so like, I mean, and these are people who deal with this stuff every day. I'm, I'm not trying to make them sound like they're callous or they're, you know, they have no, you, the, the day that I found out what my numbers were the second time I called and left some tearful message, you know, basically saying, so are we canceled? Are we not even going to go through with this? I'm sure I was crying and he called me back. And I remember being at schnooks walking or, you know, sobbing, walking up and down the aisles doing grocery shopping. And, um, and I think he talked to me for like three hours on the phone. So there's definitely, you know, I'm not saying that there's not any kind of emotional, but they become so, you know, it's kind of like anesthesia for us. You know, we go and we talk to somebody and they're so terrified, but we do this every day. We know they're probably going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine, but you just become. A, you know, a little callous to it. And I mean, that, and it basically was like a business transaction. She's like, you know, like, you got four of them. What do you want to do? One didn't make it. There's three left. We're going to throw it away if you don't use it. And I'm just like, oh my, God, you're talking about, you know, it's a, yeah, it's it's like, my and children, <laughs> whatever. But, but I'm like yeah. I'm talking about like throwing it in the trash can, you know, but I don't want to have, you know, I'm not ready for three babies. That's not what we set out for. So, um, you know, and she's like, I don't know, like less than 5% chance. I mean, it was just like we were like talking about a used car or something. So, yeah. Um, and it, and it, you know, it was like our life and, and yeah. our children's life, but it, you know, it, you, I guess you have to maintain a little bit of objectivity
0: there, you know? So get- Sarah, this has been a really, really good conversation for me. I really enjoyed what you shared and you were so vulnerable with us and I'm sure our listeners really appreciate that, but I wanted to end this on a good note. So what are your baby's names and what's the genders?
2: Okay. So I have Emma is the oldest by 30 seconds, Emma Marie. <laughs> and then <laughs> we have a uh, Liev L I E V. Um, it's a Serbian name. Um, She uh, Liev Isabella, and then which is a female, and then Julian Gray is our boy, our little honey badger. He's a hot (laughs) dog.
3: That's awesome. Now, did you guys do a gender reveal?
2: We did, did. we shot off fireworks. Yeah, I love that. Wow, all All my husband and I knew, and then um, and we actually let the neighbors know we were going to shoot off fireworks so they'd bring their dogs in, but they kind of took that as like a come down for the gender reveal. So the entire neighborhood came down and we. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Awesome. So
0: I love it. I yeah. love those. I've been to one and it was just the best time.
2: Yeah. It was a good it's like, time.
0: Yeah. You're experiencing that with someone and their happiness and their joy. It's just great. Right.
2: It was good. It was just us and the kids, but then it ended up being us and the kids and the neighbors. So, yeah.
3: So, <laughs> wow. That's awesome. What an awesome so, story.
1: Sarah, thank you so much for coming on our podcast and sharing your story. You have just an amazing story. You have an amazing insight into some really deep topics. And you also were, like Crystal said, very vulnerable with us and really talking about some real, real emotions. And we appreciate that. And I know, like Crystal said, our listeners will appreciate that as well. I do want to switch gears here as we wrap things up and obviously you're super mom, no. <laughs> um, because you, you can handle six children and, uh, still look amazing. And so, um, and still have a business on the side. So yeah, obviously super mom, we, uh, we want your mom hacks. What are your yes. like top mom hacks so that we can, we can learn from you? You know,
2: I feel like I'm a hot mess every single day. So, um, I don't have any, you know, I don't have any hacks, but I will tell you, you have to take time for yourself, take time for yourself, take time with your spouse, enjoy your kids, don't sweat the small stuff. You know, if they want to drink chocolate milk instead of regular milk, it's not the end of the world. You know, just, um, just try to enjoy things, choose your battles um, so you can avoid driving yourself crazy. But most importantly, you have to take time for yourself.
1: So, you know, just Again, yesterday, that's awesome. more sage wisdom,
0: yes. <laughs> just yesterday, we were um, leaving and my daughter put on two different shoes, like two totally different shoes. And I was like, honey, you need to <laughs> wear, you know, the same shoe. And she just started with all this. And I was like, you know what? That's fine. Let's go. I exactly. mean, yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah. It if the worst
2: happen. thing that happens is your shoes don't match. Then it's a good day. So. Yeah. Exactly. You're so right.
3: What are you binging right now?
2: You know, I got all wrapped up in, have you watched any of those Harlan Coben? So they're on Netflix. So
0: the. Stranger, so I love that author. So he, there's, a oh, so movie?
2: I've only read one of his books. So if you go on Netflix, it's The Stranger. So that was the first one we started with. And it's like a little, it says one season or season one, but it's only one season. So it's like eight episodes or whatever. But then I'm like, oh wait, there's another one by Harlan Coben called Safe with the guy that played Dexter. So started um, watching oh, that I've one heard and about like binge watched yeah. it the entire time. So then I'm like, screw this. I'm just going to look up Harlan Coben. So typed in Harlan Coben and there's like ten Netflix mini series with by wow. Harlan Coben based on his books. So oh, I'm all over that. Yeah. And so then you're on in, that. And then Working Moms and Schitt's Creek are my two.
0: Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh my god, Working yeah. Moms. Oh, is yeah.
2: Everything. Yeah. I feel like I am Working Moms, and then Schitt's Creek just fills up <laughs> my life. So
1: yeah. <laughs> I love Schitt's Creek. Ah, yeah, it's funny. So we tend to ask everyone who's in anesthesia, who's on our podcast, this question, we Uh, want to know which side of the Mac versus Miller debate you're on. Oh, man. You know, I teach airway, so um,
2: (laughs) I use use a Mac most of the time. I learned on a Miller. Miller is my go-to if I cannot get an intubation, but most of the time you'll find a Mac, mostly because that's all I find in my drawer, so... Yeah, girl. I'm going to go too. with a Mac 4 for everyone if I can get it in their mouth. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, you go for it, girl.
1: She's
2: like, have I grew three babies like, at oh, once. I have Mac too too 4 for blade for you. here, you know? I
1: mean, <laughs> <laughs> never. So. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Well, thank you so much. We're so grateful to have you on our podcast. Yeah, and this has been another episode of the Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Hey Smart Mamas on Facebook at um, Scrubcaps and scrub caps. caps and Sippy Cups, and then you can also find us on Twitter at Hey Smart Mamas. Also, uh, Sarah, where can our listeners find you? I know you've got your Sterling Anesthesia business. Uh, so I'm located in St. Louis, Missouri.
2: Are you on social? Oh yeah. So um Sterling Anesthesia Education Solutions has a website and then I am Sarah underscore Crna on Twitter.
0: Nice.
2: Twitter. Nice. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Love I just it. I just created our Twitter account not long ago. And you guys, we have like three tweets now. So Oh nice. Big We're move.
1: up to three tweets. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo.
0: <laughs> I'm learning Twitter. I Start learning. somewhere.
1: Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. And thank you, Sarah, for joining us on. We really appreciate thank all you. of the wisdom you've shared with us. Yeah. Thank you, you very much. Good. Yeah. Bye, Smart night, Mamas. Guys. Thank you.
3: I'm recording this. This is like a addendum to our podcast because we hopped off and then Sarah shared this amazing little pearl with us. And I'm like, how did this not make the podcast? So go ahead, Sarah, say it again. What did you do in college? Okay. So I donated eggs in college to pay for undergrad. And then, okay, but that's not where the story gets good.
2: (laughs) Okay. yeah. So then I said, so my kids can't date anyone east of the Mississippi because I have kids spread out like Maine, Boston, New York. Um, so there's 27 babies. Dude, you should wow. do like a 23andme reunion, you know. A- yeah, so I did. I did what? No, uh, no, 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 no. Hold on. So I did uh what's the other one? Not 23andme. Uh, uh Ancestry? Ancestry.com. So I did that. And so I always said, like, I don't consider these my babies, you know, but if anyone like needs a kidney or, you know, bone marrow or something like that, then you can contact me because I don't also don't want anyone to, you know, suffer or anything. And then after I did after I did the 20 or the ancestry.com, I thought, Oh, I don't have enough kidneys. Don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I <laughs> Holy just crap. opened myself up for some, you know, 27 people to contact me. So, so yeah, I know there are two sets of triplets, three sets of twins and the rest are all singletons. So wow. Um, have Sarah, any of your children reached baby out to you? Machine. No, no one has reached out to me. And now my husband's like, what are we going to do if somebody like comes after us and I don't know. That'll be a whole nother. That'll be chapter two, I guess. But oh, wait, um, hold on.
3: Hold on. How do they keep track of all of your children? And like, what if they leave the east of the Mississippi and go west of the Mississippi? No, no,
2: no. I, yeah, I know. I, I'm just <laughs> kind of like saying that tongue in cheek. I realize yeah. people can like cross the river, but. Um, but. <laughs> yeah. but and,
3: like, yeah, locators I, on them? You
2: yeah, should have no, a map there, in no, your house. Like- <laughs> and yeah, so when you donate eggs, you can, you know, say you want absolutely no contact. Um, well, you have to assume that you're not going to, you know, like be a part of their life or anything. Most couples are not open to that, but you can choose, you know, if you want to find out if it's successful, if you don't want to find out anything at all, if you want to be contacted by them or, you know, in the case of like an emergency or like I said, a medical condition. So I chose that I wanted to find out if it was successful. And um in case of a medical condition. But otherwise I felt like this was a donation to another family mm-hmm. that had chosen me, which I felt like was an honor. And I did not want to interfere with their life or their family, you know, in any way unless I could be of like some kind of help to them. So
0: Oh my God, you are amazing. You are like one of a <laughs> epic. I love it. I, love I have it, like I love the it.
1: best fun fact ever for like, new employee <laughs> Did orientation. Did you share that? How the many children the other do you have? Oh no, <laughs> I my didn't. god!
2: I just, I just married somebody from call of duty and like one. Oh, and I had the lady that I put to sleep that killed her family with the ax. So, oh. <laughs> and then, oh boy. And then she sent me a homemade Christmas card <laughs> to my home
0: stop it
2: yeah to remind you she knows where you live and you better behave. just to let me know that she knows exactly where i live yeah how did she get your address they have the internet there so now that was what i said like i Where? at jail well no so she's in the forensic unit in a like in a psychiatric hospital but the place that i used to work had yeah the place that i used to work had the prison contract so there's like a prison and then there's the forensic part of the prison for people that are deemed mentally criminally insane. Um, And she's obviously in that wing. So whenever we had the prison contract, I got to put her to sleep. Now I cover up my last name on my badge because all you have to do is Google my name and you know, you can get, was it an, was it
0: a nice card?
2: But it was (laughs) a really, it was a really nice. She actually sent me a stack of cards that she had made that were like, so she was like three D. They had like tissue paper and stuff. I obviously destroyed them, but um but yeah, it came to my I hope home. she's
3: not listening to this. Uh, you okay. mean she means
2: she kept them. Really yeah, weird. I, them. I mean they're, they're hanging framed on my wall. Yeah, yeah they're framed. Yeah. Um, really really weird. You yeah, need was... to
3: go and update that post. Like when <laughs> someone in our group said, What is the weird okay, like, yeah, I'll craziest do that. fact? You need to go on there and say I have 27 children, aside from my six. <laughs> aside from my six. Okay. I will. I will. And do they're that. all east of the Mississippi. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's six. How crazy would it be
3: if another CRNA mom is like, oh, oh, my God, I your, like your kids? Well, then I guess we're Sister wives, sister wives. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh my God. That was an amazing story.